Hello and welcome to Open All Ours. Uh, I'm Chris Charles, last spotted around the same time as Stefan Johansson. Uh, with me are four fellow depressed, delusioned, and other words, beginning with D, QPR fans. Um, starting with uh, Gemma Fingali. Gemma, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, thanks, Chris. Are you okay? Well, just about surviving, I guess. Yeah. It's January. <laughs> this must be your triple match ball, I guess, at least. You must be on at least nine times over the years. Yes, probably actually am. Yes. Yeah, I've lost count. So, yes, I think so. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Also joined by Simon Hall. Hi, Simon. Hi there. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Um, we'll get on to the debacle that was uh, Fleetwood in a minute. Um, before that, Paul Finney, who's single-handedly been keeping the podcast uh, together the last few months. So thanks for that, Paul, and welcome. I think the word you're looking for is sinking. Carry on. <laughs> now, before I introduce the final guest, I'd just like to read this passage from his oh, latest no, stupendous match report. <laughs> I said now. <laughs> this seemingly the unseen episode of Air Crash Investigation, where the pilots are out back having a drink with a stewardess with the big boobies, while the plane drifts steadfastly down towards a huge, huge cliff with Scott Brown's smiley face on it. Clive Fleetwood, oh, then. Talk us through it, mate. Horrible hearing your own work read back. <laughs> God, wish you hadn't done that. Yeah, hello, oh, mate. Sorry. Well, I think everyone should take the time to go to Lawful Words and read that in its entirety, because despite the uh, awful uh, subject matter, it was a really good read. So, Clive, we might as well start with you. Fleetwood, then. Talk us through it in in, uh, in, in voice rather than words. <laughs> Long answer or short answer? <laughs> we never get a short answer, Clive. It's so just Clive answer. There is anyone. <laughs> short, short answer. It was complete dog shit. Um, I don't know. What do you want? Long answer. Yes. I don't know. It's not it, like it's not new, is it? Like QPR losing badly, playing badly to a lower league team in the in the early rounds of the FA Cup. Um, I think we've done it fifty-one times now, which is more than any other team in the country. And you know, we can come on here sometimes and get all wistful about the QPR teams that we fell in love with, like the one that I started watching with. Bardsley and Wilson and Wilkins and Ferdinand and all of that. And you get back in the car on Saturday and you think, well, what that team needs is an Alan McDonald and somebody with a bit of leadership and some bollocks and, you know, to, to drag them through. But that team, I was there as a kid, lost to Stockport County in the FA Cup. And Finney comes on and talks about the 80s team, John Byrne and Gary Bannister and all of that. That team lost at Doncaster in the FA Cup. So... It's not necessarily a, a sign of a bad QPR team or a badly run QPR club that they lose in the third round of the FA Cup to a shit team. It's just, it's kind of the DNA of the club. It's what we do. The the things that troubled me about Saturday are that wasn't just QPR in the FA Cup. That is QPR at the moment. I didn't see anything really on Saturday that I haven't seen in the games against Luton and Cardiff and Burnley. That is just how we're playing now. So... If you think it's about concentrating on the league and whatever, I just don't think it is. I just think that's how we're playing at the moment. The backwards and sidewards passing, the lack of tempo, the lack of effort. I just think that's us. It's not an FA Cup thing. As well as the the second thing is, as well as the good QPR teams that we've watched over the years, we've watched some really bad ones like Ray Harford's team with George Colscar and Steve Slade and all of that lot and the team that Holloway inherited first time around and the mess that Gregory and Waddock were in charge of with Ugo Ukar and Tusha Kunte and all of that, you know, all of those characters. And 
yeah, we got angry and shouted at them, but there was no point in shouting at Zesh Raymond. He was just a terrible footballer. He's not going to get any better. This lot are not terrible footballers. We know the team has issues with strikers and central midfielders, fine, but it is a capable team. And we've seen it in at Watford, at Millwall, at Bristol City, at Sheffield United, at home to Hull. We've seen it so many times this year. And when you see the players that are capable of producing that then go to Fleetwood and play like that on Saturday. You what like Chair and Willock playing like that and you know how they can play, then you can't help but conclude that that's a mentality issue. That's It's a mindset problem. It's not an ability problem. It's a, it's, it's a mental mentality issue. They are capable and they're not producing and that's really difficult to take as a supporter. It's the most difficult thing to take, I find, when, when you travel all that way. They are capable um, and they're not showing it. Okay, so Paul, do they? We touched on. I, I know he's your favourite player, Alan McDonald, there, and uh, and and despite the loss to Stockport, whoever it was, <laughs> I can't remember which way round it was. Um, they all sort of blur into one. Do you think that's the sort of player or players we need at the moment to sort this lot out? I think you might as well just go home after Clive and play some um, relaxing music for everyone else who's taking a hammer to the head. Um, <laughs> um, well said, Clive. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean. Listen, we've got, I mean, we've got the players. I don't, some people said it was gutless. Some people said this, some people said that. But Clary's right. It's a DNA thing. We've been doing this for years. I mean, you don't get the record we've got. And we've had some bloody good sides and some bloody bad sides. I mean, me and Simon were talking about on the way up, all the ones like Swansea 4-0 and, you know, Fox or Motors and all this. And, all. and and that sadly becomes a kind of a, you know, to, to, to everyone saying that when you get there, oh, uh, you know, could be a, a cup shock here we could win um hmm. you know shows you that everyone's thinking the same thing and i think that the reality is that everyone that was there on saturday saw a pathetic display no matter how you dress it up no matter what you can say it was it was awful it was it was just so incoherent of anything i mean it, you know i'd love to turn around and say fleetwood were absolutely brilliant they stuck to the task they were clearing it off the line they were first in every challenge they were doing this but the truth is they're crap and they beat us and they beat us fair and square. We can't find any reason to to, to, to say that. There's, you know, you can put Ella McDonald in there, you can put a Gary Balance there in there. And as, as Clive says, you may get a Doncaster. You can also get Yeovil where they expect you to lose and you win 3-1 or 3-0, whatever it was back in the day. I don't know. It's it's so difficult, but it's just what what I find really upsetting, and I don't know what Simon and Clive think and, and Jimmy, but is the way the fans turned on Saturday. It was, it was, that was, that was hard to watch um, because the players sort of turned to the fans. The fans were like absolutely raging and, and some of the players just head straight down the tunnel. And, you know, I think Don and Dickey and Senny were the ones that clapped the fans, but I could be wrong. Um, and that was sad to see. Cause you don't like seeing that, but you have travel, as Simon says, like 11 hours all day. You know what's going to happen. You stop off at Fleetwood which is the only place I've ever seen a child dressed the same as a dog. And Simon, you saw that as well, didn't you? That wasn't me and drugs. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good they place to the bring you in. on the dog as they had yeah, their child. That well, was the a... weirdest thing ever. And I grew up in flipping Northern Ireland. There you go. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Um, right, yeah, Simon, that's a good, guess a good moment to bring one more you thing, in. By the way, no, Chris. Simon. Uh, Simon. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Go on. The subs were weird. They should have been hooked at halftime. Carry on. Simon, you were also there. Gemma and I are mercifully the only two people on this call that weren't. Um, it was my daughter. Need to be a smart arse. 
<laughs> my daughter's 18th we were going to be going but you know parties take precedence and all that so that was the the, the best decision she ever made i think so yeah simon I mean, head off would have been a better decision <laughs> simon you've heard clive and paul you were there um give us your take on it i think first things first fleetwood did deserve a lot of congratulations yes they were poor but i actually thought as as a town yes it's clearly a town that's seen better days but the place we went into beforehand perfectly friendly perfectly welcoming it's a really good setup. It did remind you, I occasionally with my wife supporting Boston United, it sort of reminded me of some of those non-league, one of those non-league grounds with um, places where, and they've developed and they've done really, really well. They've got a nice setup as a stadium. Stewards were perfectly friendly. Um, people were very nice. So with regard to that, yeah, fair play to Cleetwood for what they did and obviously wish them all the best for the next round. I think my frustration at the moment, and Clive alluded to it, was not actually knowing which QPR side's going to turn up at the moment. You think that this is the QPR side who played so well against Sheffield United and were unlucky not to win, to then turn out with a performance like that, a performance like Luton, a performance like Cardiff. Genuinely, for all of us going on Saturday, I have absolutely no idea what QPR we're, we're going to see on Saturday. Is it going to be the side who played well against Preston or is it going to be the side who've done Luton, done Cardiff, done, done Fleetwood? We really, really don't know. And I think that's, at the moment, is making it really, really difficult to work out what's, what's happening at the moment. And I think Paul's right with regards to the subs. Adoma and so on, I'm not entirely sure what we were getting out of playing Adoma at the start. We've been looking for people like Taylor Richards, trying to see what he's going to be like. That was a perfect opportunity to see what he could have done. So just to wait until 70 minutes when we were struggling to bring him on, the same with Sinclair Armstrong, where it was about 80 minutes, you're not actually giving people opportunities to see what they can do. And that seems to be a common theme with Critchley at the moment. And don't get me wrong, I like what he said after the game, where he ripped into the players. I think that was exactly what was needed. But I think on other levels, there are other things that I think he could do differently, like bringing substitutes on a little bit earlier to try and make changes, to try and affect a game, which at the moment I haven't seen that much sign of doing yet. OK. Um, now, as I said, Jim, you, you weren't at the, at the game, as nor was I, but you have been at plenty of these infamous upsets in the past. Um, I, I, as Clive said, as everyone said, you know, it's not just this team. It seems to, it's, it's under different boards, it's under different managers, uh, different players, but we seem to keep having this, um, we're, we're no joy in the cup whatsoever. But for me, it kind of, the FA Cup defeat kind of provokes the, the biggest frustration in the fans. I mean, it's basically what got Warnock sacked ultimately at MK Dons. Why, why do you think the players don't get that we actually do take this seriously? Well, I have, I think for me, it's you split it into two two parts. You've got the players who are either a bit crap or the formation's wrong or it all just goes wrong. And the other side, which I'm slightly obsessed with, which is the psychology side of it, where we've got a new manager who we've obviously signed not long ago. And so my expectation would be that even if we lost in the cup, because that's what we do, the one thing you wouldn't be able to accuse the players of is not playing their hearts out, even if they were utterly shit and it all went wrong. You couldn't say, well, they didn't try or they didn't turn up. The fact that you guys who were there, the consensus is they were really quite poor and appalling and you don't know who's going to turn up is a real worry for me at this stage of a new manager. And I watched the press conference before I'd 
read any of the match reports or Clive's or anything else. And I was quite taken aback by the way Critchley ripped into the players. But then having then read about the game, I was glad that he did. And I did actually say, <laughs> my Arsenal son said, wow, that's quite punchy from a new manager to publicly dress down your players. And I said, well, it must have been really bad to do that. But I, I think I guess it goes one of two ways at this point. If you've done that with your team and they're obviously not turning up, A, why is that that they aren't? Do they not respect us, the club or the manager? And I would worry about the relationship at this point with the manager if he's if he can't instill the kind of desire to win that game at any point, even at half time if we've had a bad first half. Um, but also the fact that it's quite a risky thing to do. And I, you know, I agree I was quite glad that he did that because I can't bear it when managers come out and come and say you know that was they tried hard and all this when all the fans have seen that that was not the case at all but to how does that affect the relationship with the team and the players and what is the mood like in that dressing room going forward from now is are they all going to actually turn up at the next game is there unrest I don't know what happened when Beale left I don't know how the players felt I don't know how they feel now um, you know, to me, it's inconceivable that you've got players like Willock and Chair not bothering um, and not able to even face the fans because it's been a bad day. You know, they're people that the fans have supported so, so much through this last few seasons. Um, so my big concern is not even that I think it's beyond the cup now. My expectation is always low. It's much more about the fact we've got a new manager where you'd expect a bit of a bounce, certainly in terms of effort, if not in performance. Why are we behaving like this so early on with new managers, with players who it sounds like don't really care very much? Okay, Clive, well, we'll just follow that up with you. Um, first of all, like... Uh, do you think that was the right thing for Critchley to do? And I, I, I mean, you know, we have seen that. Obviously, they did. They were trying. They did put in a good effort against Sheffield United. But I have seen as well. You know, some people already saying he's not the right fit. I mean, it seems a bit harsh after five, six games. But uh, what do you make of that? It's difficult, isn't it, when you change managers mid-season, particularly with our with our financial situation. And managers always going to want to know what he's got to spend in January and things like that. And the answer here is not a lot. So that it kind of. You go in for who's available. You can't really pay compensation for a manager, and you—you—it's not—it's a, a tough job, and it's not a big sell to a manager. So that kind of restricts who you're going to be able to get. And I think if we'd appointed Critchley in the summer after the job he did at Blackpool last season, I don't know. Looking around the call, I think everybody would have been quite happy with that. And I certainly don't think you can—you can judge a guy after five games. He's—he's he's inherited a. A tough situation. I was pleased to get back in the car and listen to his interview because he came out after the Luton game, which I thought was particularly bad, and basically said that it wasn't a 3-0 game and we were a little bit unlucky. And it was he tried to do the Mark Warburton fine margins chat on us, and I, I just wasn't having that at all. I thought Luton was appalling. Um, so I was pleased to hear him come out that. Gemma is right, is risky. Um, you know, two or three weeks in that he's already so exasperated with the group that he's willing to sort of publicly call them out like that. And, it, you know, it is interesting to see how it goes because in the modern game, the power is all with the players. It's not with the manager. They know that they if they lose six in a row, then the manager's going to get the sack. So if they don't like him, they'll just, they'll just do that. I'm not really sure what choice he had on Saturday because it was so bad and the reaction of the supporters at the end was clearly, we've had enough now that, you know, there was real anger at the end. So I think he had to come out and say that. 
I think, it, you know, it comes back to Beal, doesn't it? You know, we in the summer again, we let a manager sign players that he wanted and we do it too often. There are now four or five, maybe six players here who are here because of Beal, who came to work with him and play for him and came and, you know, he sold them his vision and his dream of things and then buggered off. And I think you only have to look at how they've played really since the moment of that Wolves link. I think there's a lot of players are disillusioned, fed up, maybe don't want to be here anymore, maybe feel they've, you know, been lied to or whatever. I think, you know, it's as plain as the look on their face, really. I think, you know, Beal leaving has has really done us in this season. Uh, and Critchley's got a hell of a job to try and turn it around now. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, to use his infamous quote after Wolves, he said, how's it going to look Look if I'm the first one to, to jump ship, basically, to the other players? And then, you know, 36 days, days later, he goes and does it anyway. So he's kind of sort of written his own tombstone there. I mean, that's what that's exactly the effect it's having on the players. Now, Paul, I don't know if you've seen tonight, but um, Jimmy Dunn's came and done an interview. Um, I, I assume not, uh, not, a, not, not a hostage situation where he's held at gunpoint and forced to uh, forced to talk because we know Jimmy is quite a straight talking kind of guy, and he was one of the three who came over at the end on Saturday. But he's basically said. Uh, they're deeply embarrassed by Saturday. They they they'd never wanted a midweek game more to try and put it behind them. Blah blah blah. The usual platitudes. But what what do you make of that, Paul? I think Jimmy's that sort of person. When he was on the podcast, we were saying all oh, about the playoffs. He was like, well, "Why can't we just win the league? Cut out the playoffs, that sort of thing." And listen, there's no question he's got nothing. He's got no keys to answer for Saturday. Um, you know, we didn't have a shot at goal, goal the second half, Clive. Did we? Have, unless I missed something. Um, no, it's not even their first choice goalkeeper on Saturday. Then, well, you could see that the way he jumped the ball when he he picked it up, he was like so pleased to get it. I mean, there was I don't think you know. I mean, players say that they've got to prove it at Reading. That's 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 the ingredient he needs to back that statement up. But it's like Nico. I feel really sorry for the lad. Every manager picks him, and he's been around the club for years now. And it's you know every manager picks him, he gets it on the side. And I actually think it's cruel on the kid now. Because he was singled out quite badly on Saturday, and he's not up to it. You know, it's not the case of he's not trying, he's not good enough. He didn't want to be there. You know, there's times when he was hiding, or it looked like he was hiding. I might be doing him injustice, but his confidence is all coming through his arse. You know, and he shouldn't be in that position. And every manager takes a look at him. I mean, everyone, you know, you said Bill Clive. Other people have seen on social media blaming Les. Other people are blaming Critchley. Other people are blaming these Hughes. Some people are blaming the, they want the whole lot to go. They want the owners in. And I think on Saturday, surprisingly, because I, Sam, you know this, we were talking about what was going to go wrong. You know, we, we knew it. We got up there like Sam and said it was lovely. Fleetwood people were actually really friendly. No problem at all. That's what it went to freaking well. Apart from Simon decided to insult the guy. We lost you there, Finney. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Simon, oh, this was terrible. I would be doing sort of thing. It was me, where Simon. <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Paul? Yeah, I said, um, go on. I, I said, um, um, you insulted the Chelsea fan in the hotel. That wasn't me, was it? No, that was you, Paul. That was bang out of oh, order. <laughs> anyway, let's, it, not get, let's not get into that. The, the thing is, yeah, let's not get into that. Everything was set for a nice day out, a lovely drive, a lovely journey, and we knew what was going to happen. But the reaction at the end was really telling. Um, you know, there was. It kind of reminded me of the time of Wimbledon and Preston when people fans were turning on each other. And I hate seeing that. There was a guy beside me and, and some bloke behind him who literally were going to start pelting each other. I, I could be wrong, but I think the guy um, being quite annoyed was 
Tyler Roberts died, but I could be completely wrong. I heard someone say that, but I've no idea. But it, anyway, it was it was shocking because he didn't have a good game. I don't know. It just seems unfair in some of the players that, like, as I say, Nico should be in that position because he shouldn't be on the pitch, in my opinion. And every manager's looked at him and every manager's decided to go elsewhere. And what we're going to face again is, we I think me, you... We all decided on Saturday, there's going to be about another 10 or 12 transfers into the season, another 10 or 12 players in. That's every single pre-season. You don't build consistency by changing your squad every summer. It's That mentality's got to stop. I don't know who, who brings the players in. I don't know if it's the managers. I don't know if it's the managers and layers. I don't know who does the recruiting. I saw a video the other day. It was a guy that did the same thing Brentford did years ago where they're going through stats rather than and then going to see them. So that's what's happened after Gary Penrice has left. Um, so we, we're now going down to interrupt. Sorry, sorry. It, I, I, I do feel so angry about it because you know we have a director of football, we have had a director of football for quite some time. In order that there is stability, there is a long term plan, they said we wouldn't do this. We've done this repeatedly, bringing players in and out, managers in and out. We lost Warburton at a time when I'm sure you've discussed this at length when I, I wouldn't, you know, I was very unhappy about that. Les Ferdinand gave the interview and said, We'd, everything we do is for the good of the club and the future of the club. And here we are. So this is not the first time. How many times do we have to hear that? How much more are they going to hammer our club into the ground and be allowed to just keep? Because actually you go to the senior person, the buck stops with him. You know, we can blame the managers, the managers will come and go, but actually we have one consistent person who supposedly is overseeing the football. And yet we're in this absolute shambles of a mess. And I want to know what's happening from here because whether it's Critchley or somebody from Timbuktu, we've got a group of players, we're not going to get a whole load of new players in. Everybody's pissed off. What is the plan here? Because he said to everybody that the reason that they let Warburton go was for the long-term future of the club. So this is the long-term future that the director of football thinks that is going to be QPR. Okay. Because I, I can't see where we're going with this and I'm really, really fed up with it now. On the... Uh, on the, the responsibility. The point that, um, that Finney made there and it comes back to what Gemma has just said about Les as well, about who's signing the players. The problem for me is that sort of everybody is signing the players. You know, if you've got a director of football and a head of recruitment, the manager should have very little to do with the players you're signing. He should basically be a head coach and he can say, well, we, you know, we're short in, I think we're short in this area or that area, but the players are signed by the head of recruitment, the director of football. And yet once again, in the summer, I was sitting in an interview with Mick Beale, the QPR manager, talking about all the agents he'd been speaking to. And, you know, he's known Kenneth Powell since he was six years old and he used to read Jake Clark Salter, a bedtime story. You know, the, the what the, you, it shouldn't be the man. There's now players in that squad that were signed by Warburton. You know, Warburton was allowed to bring in Lee Wallace and Moses Adebayo and Don Ball, Andre Gray, people like that. Presumably Critchley will be allowed to bring in players. Mick Beale was allowed to bring in players. Some of them have come up through the academy and are sort of pushed by Les and Chris Ramsey. Others are signed by Andy Belt, the head of recruitment. That's not... If you're having a director of football system, that's not how it's meant to run. It's meant to be a coherent sort of one line of recruitment and basically the manager is the head coach. I think that is the system we need to have at this club because we saw with Mark Hughes and Harry Redknapp what happens if you just give the manager at QPR the keys to the safe with this ownership. You end up with a, a, a financial train wreck. So I do think the director of football system is the right one to have at this club. But you have to ask questions about the way they're going about it because 
I mean, particularly this season, I know we were a bit skint and they've had to do loans and whatever, but the recruitment this year is all over the shop. And you've, like I say, you've now got five or six players here that came to play for the previous manager who, to me, now don't look like they want to be here anymore. Simon, um, just picking up on that point, um, Les Ferdinand, is, is, the, is the blame to be laid firmly at his door? It's, it's a tricky one. And Paul and I were talking about it on the way back. Um, I think, I don't think we can underestimate the job that he did in the first few years to try and stabilise things. I think he deserved a lot more credit for that than maybe he got from certain people, where I think there was a lot of people on his back from the very first instance. Um, I have to say now, this is now three managers who have now talked about the mentality of the squad. We know what happened in the second half of the season with Warburton. Obviously, Beal alluded to it in November when we lost to Huddersfield about the mentality of players. Critchley's already said it after three weeks. And at some stage, I think we do have to ask a question as to why that's been allowed, why that's been allowed to happen. The fact that, as I say, it's three managers, same sort of thing, are saying the same thing. You do have to now start asking questions as to how that has been allowed, how that has been allowed to happen. The fact that there's going to be about 11 or 12 players we are going to get rid of who, let's be honest about it, the likes of Thomas, the likes of Shadipo, the likes of um, Adama and so on, who are people who we know aren't really ready for first team football first team football and it's going to be a really really difficult job to try and then get a squad together for next season to make sure that we can kick on and progress and I have to say at the moment I'm slight I'd be slightly concerned if it was Les Ferdinand leading the helm so I think he's done a lot better than people have given credit for but I think we're almost at a stage now where I think we might need to shake hands at the end of the season thank him for everything he did certainly in those first few years and see if we can see if we can do it with someone else. Okay. Um, now, I mean, as, as, just going back to the manager, I know we've already said, you know, like he had that, um, you know, he, he basically wore his heart on his sleeve in that post-match rant about uh, at, at uh, Fleetwood. Um, but one one of the most damning comments I found that he's not surprised that this has happened, having looked at QPR from afar last season. Just seemed like a real, first of all, quite a shocking thing to say, and 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 secondly, he he, I think he also made a comment about that he could see in training on Thursday that you know to paraphrase, they didn't seem up for it. I mean, Paul, that just seems like a really, yeah, like I say, shocking thing to say. I think you go back to his Luton interview where he looked like shell shocks, um, like it just seemed. He's come to the club, he's, seen, he's been told this, he's been told that, that he's seen that performance and thought, wow, this job's tenfold what I thought it was going to be. And he had a rave rats like the players off because they deserved it. Um, what he said on Thursday worried him. And what do you say to that? And, and the other stuff, I mean, this has been going on for years. I mean, you, McLaren, who watched Holloway's team, who was supposed to come in saying, this, this, you know, this, this isn't right, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that, and he made it worse. Um, even though I had critics, what is going on? I mean, it's like the recruitment, the contracts. I mean, we've got, we're in a situation where we're going to have to sell Willock soon and Sharpish, as Clive has said many times, not for words for FFP and everything else, but also because his contracts is taken away and then he'll go for it next to nothing. We've paid Bourne off last week. That's another couple of million down the drain, you know, we, we, and we've paid a few players off. So as he saved us from probably having a terrible um, transfer record, and keeping 
keeping it level because over the time, the money we've got back for some players and everything else, the investment's been there, but the money hasn't come back in the other door. Therefore, we can't reinvest. So, we're, yeah, I think we're third birth financially. Maybe, um, maybe I'm just hoping that they can all get together and sort out. But Clive and, and, and Simon are right. You know, Les did a brilliant job in the first few seasons. No two ways about it. We were dramatically leaking money and we had to be stopped. I mean, everyone says, well, of course you will. You're not in the Premiership. You're not be playing Premiership wages. Tell it to Harry Redknapp. So, do you know what I mean? It's He did do a good job. But it seems to be now that it's kind of, it's eight years down the line and everyone else is getting blamed and everyone else is gone. But, the illness is still there that we can't progress and can't win cup games and as I say illness it's a wee bit over exaggerational and a bit dramatic but I just felt absolutely shit on Saturday and gutted for everyone that went there because they deserve better than that on the uh, on the post-match comments guys when he when he said that he'd looked at QPR from afar if you were mm-hmm. an op- if you were an opposition manager in the championship facing QPR in a game what would you say to your players about playing QPR? Because I know what I'd say to them. I'd say this lot of fucking soft. I'd say, yeah, sure. I'd say, get after Absolutely. this. Get after this lot. First corner you have, hang it under the crossbar. Put a couple of tackles in. They won't want to know. They are soft. This lot. That's what you would say. And Critchley had to. I mean, Blackpool were very unlucky not to beat us at at Bloomfield Road last year under Critchley. They got after us and they roughed us up and we got out with a point that day. We were very lucky. We got a good refereeing decision. So he's managed against QPR. He and he and that's the perception I'm sure that he's brought here. That the mentality good that point. this is this is a soft team. They are easy to play against if you get after them and you get in front in a game. I think we've only come from behind to win a game what twice in the last year. Reading at home, once, Reading twice. at home and Luton away. I think. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, twice. Yeah. The other I thing, again, Clive, you, you say that, Clive, but then Field and Dunn were trying to achieve one up on Saturday. They were trying to get everyone involved. Do, you think, they, do you think they were? It, it, Field was definitely because he was losing his shit completely with Chur at some point. But I mean, I've done a fast frustration. I've done a, but at the same time, we were getting killed down the flanks. We were getting killed down the middle. Anyone's going to score with a goal, it was going to be Fleetwood. We were not going to score on Saturday. Of course, Fleetwood could have scored you know, many more times. On the, you, FF, on the FFP and the money issue that you raised there, Finney, one of the things that annoys me most about these cup defeats, I mean, I mean, some supporters just seem numb, you know, have the attitude that we're not going to win the cup, which we're not. Um, and we don't need the extra fixtures because we've got a thin squad and that's fine. I, I understand that. But when you're a club that's pleading poverty on everything from we can't sign a striker right the way down to we can't run a second bus to away games, and yet you're so willing to turn down the opportunity of prize money, of FA Cup ties with Premier League teams at home that you could sell tickets TV money. to, that you you might get a, a tie on the TV like we did a couple of years ago and it's Watford, so that's money. And, you know, it's sort of six figures each time. It's not... When you're talking about we can't afford to run an extra coach or whatever, you know, then it's not insignificant money. And the the way that we're just so happy to toss that away in both cup competitions each year, it annoys me. And I think, you know, whether we're going to win the cup or not, this fan base at the moment, I think the excitement of a cup run personally could go a long way because, you know, we're stuck in the championship. We've been here for years. There's no sign we're going to get out of the championship anytime soon. It's a difficult sell to people to say, well, are you going to keep forking your money over every year? And, you know, how are you going to get kids interested in a new breed of supporters when all you've got to offer them is two games against Preston every year for the rest of your life? You know, a cup run could be a good thing for this support base. 
sell more tickets, bring more a revenue driver. So it's very frustrating to see them just toss it away the way they do every year. And, oh, we're going to concentrate on finishing 16th in the league. Well, fucking whoop de do you know? <laughs> well, except it's even worse because so many times in the past we've said, oh, well, why didn't we play our main team? You know, why didn't we play the first team? Why did mm. we put the youth on? And I looked at the team and thought, okay, well, next round, here we come. And we, we can't even say, well, if we played Willock and Cher, we'd have won that game. No. And yeah, it's I mean, not, I, it's I, not I, the first. It's not the first time either. Holloway put a really strong team out in a game against MK Dons and lost that. So, <laughs> you know, it is it is frustrating. I'm sorry for going on and being miserable. No, not at all. But Jesus, I, it's, like, it's like the point I made to Gemma just a bit earlier. But the the the, the players or the, the whoever it is, the, the like. The, the, the fans, the FA Cup, particularly at a club like QPR, means a lot. It means a lot. It, it, like I said, when Warnock went, ultimately it was the it was the MK Dons defeat in the cup that um, that sort of uh, uh, led to his uh, departure. Which at the time I thought was the wrong decision. Still think it is, but you know you can't go back that many years now. But this is what's tipped everyone over the edge on Saturday. This is what this that performance. You know, people were wavering, like you say, after Luton. But this is the, the barrage that came out both online and from what I can gather up in Fleetwood while you were there was just like it's a lot of anger just spilling over uh, and just like like you said. I think people, if we'd gone down, you know, you know, lost four three, giving it our all, had one bloke sent off, two carried off, you know, six yellow cards put everything on the line, people would forgive that. But it's just like the apathy. It's just like the tame surrender um, of going out. Um, Chris, so- there, was a, there, was a, there was a bit of the game, sorry, Simon, we saw it as the way home. Sorry, Chris. I, I don't no, you carry on, mate. Carry on. There was a bit towards the end in injury time when Cho turned around and passed the ball backwards, which just emptied the stand. It was just like, well, that's it. We're fucked. You know, it's fair, like, there, was so many, there was so many examples of that in the game. I mean, I'm not suicide Clive in his match report alluded to those, we were talking about those short corners where we did the first short corner, made a hash of it, got a second corner. And then lo and behold, we decided to do exactly the same thing. And actually we made it about 10 times worse. And it's and it was one of those sort of performances where, yeah, it just, nothing, nothing happened. There was no intensity. It's that usual tap, 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 tap at the back side side like that simp like that Kent Brockman Simpson sketch where it was just <laughs> yeah. around the side around the side all the time and it just didn't it's pointless because all you need to do just stick 10 people behind it you're not getting you're not getting through that and that's what we've seen and and again I know that was the tipping point but this is what we've been seeing now since late October and as I say this hasn't been going on with Quitchley this has started with Beal when things go wrong, it also happened with Warburton during the collapse. It seems to be our sort of default situation. If something's going wrong, yeah, just pass the ball a bit at the back, get 70% possession and go and go from there. But we're not actually doing anything with it. We're very, we're very easy to play against, Si. Because yeah. like, like you say, we play at such a slow tempo and there's so much backwards and sidewards that we're easy to play against because like you say they just file back into shape while we're messing about and then just stand there and watch us do it Jake Clark Salter makes a bit of a difference when he plays at centre back because he can and does actually yeah. pass the ball forwards you know love Dickie love Dunn but bless them they are prone to just rolling slow badly hit bobbly passes backwards and forwards between each other for for hours at a time, we're easy to play against. Like we've got to get some speed and some tempo and some intensity back into our play. 
But this, this, them doing that, like the whole team doing that, this sideways, you say chair playing backwards, is that symptomatic of this soft underbelly? Like, like they're just like retreating to their shells almost and, and, and just don't know what to do. I mean, is, is, is that what it is? I mean, if you've got a Sean Derry, a Clint Hill in there, is that going to make a difference? What you've got is you've got a, a, a system where you're playing one up front with nothing coming in, which means their fullbacks got cramped on Saturday because they were running up and down the flanks so much. Both fullbacks had to come off and they're running at us so much. And you're, you're allowing yourself to get overrun because we haven't got, we're not troubling sides up front. So that there's nothing going in the other way. And even with Fleetwood, after about 20 minutes, they, they, they saw we didn't have that much to offer and they came at us. Do you know what I mean? So we, formation, I mean, he changed formation twice as well, Saturday, didn't he, Sam? He went from 4 2 1 3, whatever, into 4 3 3. When he put Sinclair on, and that didn't change anything either. Maybe obviously it was too late and everything else. So yeah. they're trying different things. He's he's trying to change it, but the mentality, as he said, and as this has been going on for years, it's it's you know, whether it's just oh, we're fed up, we want to move, we're fed up with it. I don't know, but there's something's wrong. And I mean, whoever can put the their finger on it, could they please fix it? Is the one up front not not because they not because you know different managers don't have any confidence in anyone to play alongside Dykes? Is that what it is? Well, maybe, but you've, got to, you've got to come up with a better idea than just humping it forward to a centre. But is it is it due to our lack of personnel? I mean, or, or lack of quality personnel? Do they just think that well, maybe you know we'll just you know flood the you know? And Chris, every transfer window we bring the big in twelve I think the, to thirteen players. I think the big issue at the moment is the change in form, particularly from Willock, is is. I don't think you can underestimate that since he's, his form's gone completely off a cliff, we really do not look like creating anything because he's now off form. Ilias, Ilias is just spending half the time trying to take everybody on and trying to do everything himself like he did towards the end of last season when Willock's injured. I think with those two, their two form going off a cliff, that means then Monday night, Dykes winning a lot of headers, people got a lot closer to Dykes. Then and we could actually do a bit more with it. The looting game, the one on the one on Saturday, whilst Dykes didn't play well at all, he was winning headers, and there were still people about 15, 20 yards away who had absolutely no chance of getting it. So I think the big concern at the moment isn't necessarily who we've got up front. And yes, there may be a case of playing Dykes and Armstrong like we did against Cardiff, just for a bit of shock and awe as such. But I think the lack of form with Chair and Willock just behind. I don't think we can underestimate what effect that's having at the moment. So, transfer window then, Clive. Um, uh, we're, we're in Joker. <laughs> We've already said, you know, about the possible need to sell Willock. Um, him, first of all, like the manager putting two goalkeepers on the bench, uh, which was, was kind of <laughs> odd. Um, is that the classic Harry Redknapp down to the bare bones ploy, do you think, to the, um, to, to, to the board? Uh, and, and secondly, um, I, think, I, I think there was a whole thread on lawful words called we need an effing striker so um is that the priority priority even yeah it's difficult again to do it january is not the window you need to be doing big surgery is it um i'm there's no point in going into the financial situation again because that's i think everybody sort of knows it and has has heard it before so i don't think we're going to be able to do major bits i think it will maybe be some of the loans we've got possibly going back to clear space for more loans. Um, they were close to getting Jamal Lowe from Bournemouth 
on the last day of the August on the last day of the August transfer window. So perhaps, you know, we hear that that might be revisited and it would at least put some pace into the team because it's a slow team um, since we lost Bright. You know, there's no there's no speed in the team. So Jamal Lowe might correct that. But again, it's probably only a loan. I did see that some, I think it was only a Sun journalist. So, you know, don't read too much into it. But uh, some mentioning that Jordan Hugill might be coming back. I mean, I think the front five rows of the upper loft have had it too easy for too long, I think. <laughs> let's, let's get Jordan back in here with his big, with his big lean backs. Yeah. Paul? Same question, transfer window. What do you, what do you see happening? What would you like to see happen? I I, I I listen to Clive a lot, and I think we should get strikers, 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 because <laughs> I know Clive loves hearing that. I think just bring. But listen, we brought. Well, how many players you bring in the summer, Clive? Was it eleven, ten, eleven, something like that? Oh, don't put me on the spot like that. Um, um, well, at least a few. seven, eight. Um, sorry, I'm trying to count in my head now. That's unfair. Why don't you talk while I go look it up? <laughs> okay, and um, you know every every tra- basically every transfer window we bring in ten or eleven players, and then come January we've got to bring some loans and then pay some people off and do this and do that. So it's kind of like low would be a great signing because he's 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 proven and he's he's, he's done his. You gone again, uh, Paul? But you know, should we be in Jay after playing one up front and then again panicking about more surgery for the team? That just tells me everyone's field. Um, and what 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 about Dykes? Because um, there was there was um, again this is uh, just paper talking, probably not even paper, just like some some uh, nut job on the on Twitter, but like linking um, uh, Dykes with Rangers. <laughs> Dykes with I mean, would would you get rid of Dykes, Paul? Um, I think um, if we got a good offer, every player is for sale, and I think we'd have to listen to it. Okay. Um, that was very critical, wasn't it? I like that. I'm yeah. sticking with that. Eight, uh, eight, eight signings last summer. Just okay. Okay, so still, and about ten. Got yeah. So it's it's still a very busy door, isn't it? Well, the the problem is, with the exception um, of the last gaffer, we, we sorry, the gaffer before last. I'm uh, yeah, I, I keep forgetting how many it's we've been, had. It's like it's like the prime minister is the three yeah. in one season. But we're 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 essentially changing yeah. managers um, every every season. So you, you change a manager, then despite the fact that you're supposed to be signing them to play um, in the same style, they are going to want their own personnel. It boils back down to Clive's uh, point earlier on about who is signing the players and who should be allowed to sign the players. Um, yeah, Gemma, um, any any thoughts? And also um, after after that, Simon as well on on the transfer window and 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 what we do and how we can fix this problem. Well, my concern is that you can, a, you know, as Clive said, it's it's January. We're not going to do anything major. Obviously, we'd all love a striker. I'm much more concerned about the ability of the of the manager to work with what we have to get the best out of who we have for the rest of the season um, and to motivate them and for them to play for him and us and themselves. Because we could bring in five or six players and it unless the actual fundamental motivation work ethic, um, however the formations work or however we're playing, unless that works, it doesn't matter who you, I mean, we've seen it before, you can bring in whoever you want, but you've got to actually have the team working well and being managed well in order for that to be, it doesn't really matter who we, so I'm less concerned other than a striker about who we bring in and much more concerned about us actually getting the best out of who we have because we have had games where we've looked at the team and said, you know, they're not great, but they're fine and and they can play well. And if they're playing their best, we can win games. And 
it's not like everybody around us has got amazing squads. So my focus would be far more on managing and getting people who we've got till the end of the season to really focus, commit and play well each game rather than necessarily trying to bring in loads more people to shove in a pot of people who aren't doing very well. Oh, to that point, Gemma, um, on like you say, you bring in six players and it, and it doesn't make any difference. We conceded again at the weekend off two shampolically defended corners. Um, and if you think back to Warburton's first season, the centre-backs were, what, Jeff Cameron, Tony Leisner sometimes, Grant Hall and Johan Barbe. And we used to come on this podcast every week and say, God, we, don't, we can't defend corners. And we've rattled through to centre... And, We've ended up with Dickie and Dunn and Barbe as our centre-backs last year. And what was the big problem at the end of the year? Opposition corners felt like opposition penalties. This year, Jake Clark-Salter, Leon Balligan have come in two more new centre-backs. Sometimes they've played together and Dickie and Dunn haven't played at all. And what are we doing? Conceding off corners. So it's a good point. Like There's no point in just bringing players in. If, if something's broken somewhere else, then you just... You know, you just like you say, just chucking it into a barrel of rotten apples, aren't you? It's like, what's the point? So, Simon, um, same question to you. I think certainly some speed up front will make a will make a massive difference. So, anything we can do, anything we can do from there, I think is really important. And I do get, I do get what Gemma said with regard to yeah, trying to make do, but uh, obviously Critchley is also going to be in a situation where he's thinking to himself, oh, I need to get results here because I need to try and keep keep my position. And I was I was more reassured by Critchley after what he said about the players on Saturday. I know it's risky, but I think him trying to lay a marker down is is what he need is what he needed to do. And the fact of the matter is he he is a perfectly he's a good coach. I mean, to do what he did at Blackpool indicates that he is someone who is capable of of coaching. He did and also Let's not forget at Blackpool, he only won one of his first seven games and they're in the relegation zone in League One. And I think the one thing we'll need to do here, and I don't think we've got any choice, is we need to give Critchley a little bit of time. So I think certainly a bit of speed up front will help him, but it's worked. And certainly, but certainly I think what we need to do as well is... You've got your striker, if you can get a bit of steel, an absolute bonus. But I think it's also important that people sort of get behind Critchley and make sure that he's given every opportunity to succeed. Well, as well as Blackpool, of course, he was Liverpool under-18 coach as well. So, you know, you don't get that job um, by not knowing what you're doing, really. Um, But, yeah, I I, I did see, you know, some people, some people I respect on Twitter, you know, just after the second game, just saying, I can see already this is not a good fit. And I, I personally think it's probably too too soon for that. But it, yeah, it, it, I guess it depends how much respect he commands from the players and, and how they respond to what he said. Like I said, um, Dunn's come out tonight and, and you know, giving it, giving it all the, uh, saying all the right things about, you know, how they want to they wanna bounce back and they're disgusted and apologies to the fans, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I guess the proof of the pudding is going to be, going to be ready in, um, on Saturday to see, to see, what they do. Um, but I just talking about the under 18s, um, that's that's been the one sort of shining light in the, the last few weeks. They've they've been on a good run. They beat knocked Tottenham out the cup 
beat Cardiff, I think, at top of the league. Um, and, and one of their lads, uh, Ryan Coley, has just um, signed a professional deal, which I think is five years. Clive, are you are you excited by that? Yeah, I was anything you, you, at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, you've nicked, you've nicked my R's end. I was going to oh, mention. Sorry. I was going to mention. I was going uh, to mention him. I've, I've <laughs> seen him a couple of times this season. He looks a great prospect. I mean, obviously, you know, too soon to tell, and we are a little bit prone to proclaiming the Messiah quite early, aren't we? But yeah, he looks a good prospect. My big fear. He played so well against Tottenham in that cup game. My big fear was that they'd just hoover <laughs> him straight up afterwards for their puppy farm. You know, so it's good that. I think he signed a two and a half year deal, which oh, I, think, okay. I think at his age, that's all, that's the most you can give boys at that age, a, a yeah. three year deal. Um, so yeah, like fingers crossed. It's, it's a, it's a bit of good news this week, which, which we all needed. Um, I'm not sure whether the Jimmy Dunn uh, comments are that advised. I guess if you're the media team, you're sort of thinking, well, we've got to do something because, you know, social media is melting <laughs> down and whatever. For me, it's very much a, uh, actions over words week you know go and perform at reading and then we'll talk yeah yeah no i i, I hear you there i think you know it, it yeah you 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 think um he if he of anyone is probably um the, the the man who would be feeling that i would think just just judging by what he's like on the podcast he seems like heart on the sleeve type guy i didn't see his performance on saturday so i can't um judge whether he was one of the ones with a perceived lack of effort but as i say he did uh, at least have the good grace to come down with Dickie and and Dieng at the end, Paul. Exactly. And, you know, he's, he's obviously hurting, as Clive says, the media team had to do something. And apart from, I don't know, just condemning everyone and the building and, and clearing everyone out, he's, he, he said that we can't put up. We, we are. But then Saturday, if they put in the same performance as Saturday, it's going to be 2,000 and a half very pissed off QPR fans who are never going to listen to another word anyone ever says because it's getting to the stage where how many times can you keep promising something and not delivering it? So, yeah, you know, I, I don't expect everyone to get sent off and ready to be running around the pitch with one leg. Um, <laughs> but we need to do something, um, you know, we, yeah, so... Yeah, uh, action words and some points. But I tell you another thing: we need to be looking that way rather than the other way as well. This league is can vacuum you down, that down to that end of the table rather quickly, too quickly. We need to be very, very, very careful. But yeah, a good win on Saturday, and it won't make you forget Fleetwood, but it'll make you realise that they actually they're doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah, well, a good win. At, well, sorry, I keep thinking it, it felt like a defeat, in fact, but Sheffield United, that's uh, tantalizingly close to that win, and it's kind of made you forget about Luton. So, yeah. Tantalizing. Uh, yeah. Be aware, you? <laughs> um, just before the R's end, just one name I wanted to mention before we come on to that Stefan Johansson. And, and just for me, I, I, you know, it's, one man doesn't make a team, but. For me, our bad runs last season, um, our bad runs this season have uh, uh, coincided with him, or at least a, a, a fully fit him not being in the team. Um, how, how important do you think he is to the side? Um, and uh, Gemma, do you, want, do you want to start that one? Sorry, I have to unmute because I've got growling and barking dogs everywhere around me. Right, so okay. <laughs> at risk of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, Really important, actually. I must just add one thing that I just remembered. When I was watching, when I was at the Sheffield United game, the one thing I did notice, I don't know if anyone else did, was how much louder and more vocal the players were that day. Like I could hear them shouting and, and really encouraging each other and being very loud in a way I hadn't noticed really to that degree this season. Maybe it was because we were all quieter, I don't know. Um, but when you said about the, the cup game, that everybody was very quiet 
um, I just wondered whether something is like, it sounds like it's too, something's happened. Why have they stopped being that team that they were? Sorry. I just thought about the, the actual captaincy thing. It made me think then. Sorry. Does anyone want to, uh, anyone want to answer that? It's to, it's to size point earlier that you just don't know what QPR team is going to turn up. I presume at some point, Chris, you're going to ask us for predictions for Reading and who, <laughs> and who the hell knows? Like, <laughs> like, if you tell me now we win 3-0 at Reading, I'd just say, yeah, I could I could see us doing that. Or yeah. if you tell me we get beat 4-0, I'd just go, yeah, I'm not actually that surprised <laughs> at that, mate. Like, you, just, you just don't know from one week to the next which QPR. How do they go? This is the frustration about it, isn't it? Because they can do it. How do you go from that Burnley performance to that Preston performance all the way back to that Luton performance and the Cardiff performance up again to Chef United and then down again to Fleetwood? It's like, you know, I know mid-table teams are inconsistent, but the distance between our best and our worst is about 2 million miles. I've never yeah. seen a, a team like it. Like, so... <laughs> Yeah, so you've stolen my R's end, and I'm not doing a Reading prediction. So there you go. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But, but I, as I've stole your as I've stole your R's, R's end, can you just uh, touch on that point about Stephanie Hansen? And and do you think you know having a fully fit Stephanie Hansen? Is- I mean, it makes an enormous difference, doesn't it? I mean, for a start, you can take a corner, which at the moment you know is proper sort of three hairs in the land of the bald, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it makes an enormous, enormous difference. But he he's he's getting on, and he can't. Even when he is fit, he struggles to do three games a week. He hasn't been fit really all of last season and he's struggled again this. And I think he's still got another year on his contract and he won't be cheap. So he's not only very, very important to the team, but he's also sucking up a lot of salary for somebody else that could play in that position. And yeah, I think he's got three years. So I think he's here again next year. So it is awkward that you sort of your best player is is not available. <laughs> it's like it's, you know. Item number 356 on the list of this week's problems, isn't it? <laughs> also, I think he almost he almost sums up the club in a way, in that you have times where he plays really well and then other days where he has an absolute shocker. So it's it, he is symptom like well, not symptomatic, but he does demonstrate a lot of the problems because you just don't know where you are with him, really. Yeah. Well, what he does is, me and Sam were talking about this, we're bringing our car journey onto the podcast side. It was a long car journey. It was a long car journey. 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 Yeah. 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 You have the speed limiter on, Vinny. I wasn't driving, maybe got there in time, it was fine. Um, (laughs) Although that black box has gone in the car and I I can actually go above 10 miles an hour. You'll be surprised. But no, we said about uh, your hands as well, that when the game's gone against us, he can't wait to get off the pitch. Um, so that could also be an injury thing when he gets a bad challenge is mentally he's like I'm, I'm done I mean, how many games did he finish in 65, 70 minutes and he was that's it I'm done now I've got to come off I'm knackered so I don't think he's, he's fit at all I don't think he's anywhere near fit and um, more importantly as, as Clive said he's taking money away from someone who could do that position because all you need in that position is someone who's half it doesn't have to be an ex-premiership player it could be someone on the up it could be a younger person more legs so yeah big few months for him to get himself sorted for next season okay right well we've got loads more that we could have talked about but we are um... did you ask Simon the same question <laughs> yeah well I will ask Simon the same question at the same time as his R's end Simon thank you Paul clever uh, so clever. Quick, quick word on like your hands quick word on your hands and Simon and then and have your R's end please so yeah, I think I think we proved during the course of this season when Stephen Johansson plays well, we play well, and I don't think it's been any coincidence that 
he went. I think he went off at half time with the Birmingham game, and yeah, we haven't we haven't looked the same side since. We haven't got anyone. You hope that people like Iwobunam would have come in and actually spent a lot more time driving forward, like he's shown signs of doing. But at the moment, sadly, with him, he, he's playing like a nineteen. He's playing like a nineteen-year-old. We know there's a lot of promise there, but we know that there are mistakes in his game and. Yeah, in a couple of years' time, he's going to make a great player. And actually having Johansson with him, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of trying to build build Iwabunam as well. So, yeah, we, we are in a difficult situation where probably he is, at the moment, potentially our most influential player, but he's never fit. But my R's end is, I think we've all been in a position where we've always felt down on the sides. And Paul talked about the... Um, the game at the Vetch when 2002 where we lost 4-0 to a side who were 92nd and not won a game in about eight months three days afterwards three days afterwards we got Kevin Gallen back beat Swindon 4-0 and everything was right in the world and please to God Reading's ground Reading the place doesn't bring the best out of me as a person please <laughs> let's hope we do something against them lot on Saturday Brilliant. <laughs> okay, uh, Gemma. Oh, well, I didn't have an RZM, but I just thought of one in the last oh, ten minutes. Okay. Actually, um, that I, I have a solution. If all continues as it's doing, then we need to get Netflix or whoever to do another not four year plan, but to do another <laughs> behind the scenes for next season. A, they'll pay us a shed load, so then we can use that to buy a player. And B, <laughs> everyone that does that seems to do really well with all the camera attention. So it might be just what we need for next season. Brilliant. Great idea. What could possibly go wrong? Um, OK, well, I'll, I'll do mine. Um, um, I just yeah, just want to wish my daughter, Nancy, happy birthday. Happy 18th on Saturday. Yeah, well done, Nancy. Happy birthday, Nancy. You've got two adults at the host today, Chris. Yes, I know. Yes, I made that gag already. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, no, but she's uh, she's been yeah, has season ticket holder. God bless her for, uh, since she was five and gone through thin and thinner. Um, but I did, would like to say, despite, you know, performances on the pitch, but... Um, uh, uh, Paul and Fiona at the club both knew that um, uh, Chris Willett was her favourite player and unprompted by me, um, they managed to get him to record a little happy birthday message. So thank you for doing it, Chris, and thanks, thanks guys for setting it up. So that's mine. Uh, Clive, because we know Paul has to go last. Well, I, yeah, I, an emergency one, because like I say, I was going to do Ryan Collier. But I mean, I've mentioned this a time. I know it's been a, a downbeat podcast and whatever, but if, if we're talking about solutions, I, it is still a fact that we've never finished as high in the league again as uh, since we stopped running out to Tina Turner. So <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there as a, as a possibility. You know, we've tried a few things now. Like may, maybe that would maybe that could help. Tina Turner and Netflix. I think that's a winning combination. Um, this is where we are now. This is this is the, this is the level. <laughs> We're at Barry Barry Fry weeing in the corner of the pitch. Levels of desperation here. <laughs> oh, it's good to finish on a laugh. Anyway, Paul, um, over to you. Uh, it's a Tina Turner thing. Christ, really, Clive? I know you like your poor ballads, but Jesus, we have to, um, um, don't forget, don't forget, Simon can do one as well. Or has he already done one? Have you done done end? I've already done that. one, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I'll worry about this because the thing is, Chris, I've got to listen to this in the car when I go to join in with the kids. Oh, well, I was on that podcast. I didn't get to say this. I didn't get to say that, you know, because people get funny about that sort of thing. Joking, yeah. Simon. Um, my is end is end nah, my oh. end is a worry because, like, you have, like, um, my mate Alan brought his son 
um, on Saturday, obviously, because they live in the same house. Why not? He's a QPR fan. They both go the same way. And his son's getting more and more pissed off. As you can see, he, he's, he's 18, he's at uni. He, they need, that generation need, they need a Warnock season. They need something really to, to grab them in. Wembley was 10 years ago now, more. You know, it's 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 slowly um, getting replaced. And he's seen nothing in the last few weeks. He was at Luton, because they live in Stoke, obviously. He was at Luton. He was at Fleetwood. And then he's... he's but it did make me laugh. He's having this whole whinge. He's having this, like, Jesus, Dad, stop doing this to me. I'm not doing this. And it's like, so we're down for the Millwall match then, Mac. Oh, well, I see at Millwall. No bother. Um, so even him at 18 is doing, we all do in our 50s, which is, I said, I've had enough. Never going back there again. See you Saturday. You know? <laughs> and the thing is, but we need, the fan base needs to be cheered up. It needs something to happen. It needs, it needs a few scalps in the next few weeks. We need to get that place rocking again. And we need to get people on side. And um, it hasn't been a downbeat podcast. I think it's been flipping honest. And yeah. sometimes you have to be honest. We all love this club. And mm-hmm. anyone who says, oh, well, you know, you're fickle. When you win, you're going to win the league. That's football. But the same thing is you have to be honest. And it, it's not good enough. And we have to we have to search for the reasons. And if people don't like hearing that, then that's tough. If they want to sack a manager, just sack him. So it's life, isn't it? Okay, Paul. Well, um, hopefully one of those teams we get a result against will be Reading. How do you see that one going? I freaking hit Reading. I mean, do you know what? Do you know what gets me? Every time you go into that shithole, it's like it's the first time they've ever had a football match. It's the first time they've ever run buses. It's the first time they've ever run buses back. It's the first time they've ever stewarded. It's the first time they've sold a cup of coffee. It's the first time they've sold a cup of tea, a beer, a sandwich, a bloody Rolo. Everything takes so bloody long in that bloody place. I freaking hate it. Jesus, you didn't think it could make anything worse than Elm Park. Well, guess what? They freaking did. Anyway, yeah. Just uh, a score will do, Paul. I mean, you know, it's just... Uh, no, but seriously, it's a piss tick. I mean, you know, honestly, you can stand in that queue for eternity. I have seen people start wars and finish it before I've got on that fucking bus. It's just <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. I don't know. If, if the good took QPR team <clears throat> turn up... All has gone bye-bye, Chris. I'm nicking you as Clive. If the bad team turn up, it's going to be toxic, it's going to be raging, there's going to be arguments, and it will still take fucking ages to go to that shithole. So either way, we're going to be stuck in that crap line for a bus for eternity. Hopefully a winning eternity. Okay. <laughs> Clive, are you sticking with 3 0 or a 4 nil Reading? Yeah, no, I refuse to I refuse okay. to I refuse to enter a prediction. Okay. If, if they're going to be this random, then what what can I, you I, do I'm exactly do? the same. I, I have that. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Gemma, we're going for a clean sweep of, of, of uh, not knowing. This, uh, I'll um... make a prediction it's going to be a crap game. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, great. Okay, brilliant. I think that's a, that's a first. Um, so I'm not going to spoil it by giving a prediction also. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Oh, go on, Chris. Yeah, all right. 2-0 uh, QPR. There you go. Um, okay, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Probably not. This has been Open All Ours. See you next time.